A good near of Shabbos and Erev Erev Hanukkah to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. Well, we're all talking about uh, Hanukkah and uh, getting presents ready. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we're going to have our annual Mahalowitz get together. The grandchildren are coming and I've ordered all the presents. So I'm sure many of you are thinking about presents. Well, let me tell you about an old Jewish couple, Harry and Sadie. We're married for 35 years, but never got along. Well, one day around this time of year, he says to her, so I suppose you'll be wanting a Hanukkah present. She says, yep, Harry, I want a divorce. Harry says, I wasn't planning on spending that much. Okay, so some of us may have spent more or less, but we're all in the Hanukkah spirit and the Hanukkah spirit is interesting because Hanukkah is the one holiday that's with the worst weather. <laughs> Even in Eretz Yisrael, it's not the optimal weather. So how can we bring some Hanukkah cheer into this dreary time uh, as uh, we see rain, snow, sleet, all kinds of things? How can we do this and how can the Torah portions help us navigate with this as well? Well, let's talk a little bit about Hanukkah. We know Hanukkah was the last Jewish holiday to be established. Purim had become a holiday 189 years earlier because of the miraculous victory over the Persians, and Hanukkah was response to the miraculous victory over the Greeks. Okay, now the world had changed dramatically during those 189 years from Purim till Hanukkah. Mordechai and Esther certainly was amazing. They engineered a turn of events. Prophets still walked the face of the earth. But when Matisio and his sons carried out theirs, prophecy was long gone, and Hester Punim, the hiding of God's face, had become quite intense. And the way we celebrate the two holidays actually reflects this difference of realities. Purim is what we can call a proactive holiday. There's so much to do within the 24 hours of the holiday. We never find enough time. The two Megillah readings, the Matanos Levioni, the Mishloch Manos, and of course the Sudas Purim and the drinking and everything. There's a lot to do on Purim. Hanukkah, on the other hand, is so passive. If you want, you can make a Suda, but you don't have to. We call that a Mitzvah Rishus, optional. And basically, the only real mitzvah and the only thing that really puts you out, so to speak, is the lighting of the menorah one every night. And okay, you hang around with it and you stay for the half an hour. Okay. Latkes, sufganiyot are purely optional. They're not even a, a mitzvah's rishos. And of course, they're very high in calories. So if you really think about Hanukkah, many people work the whole Hanukkah. And there's nothing wrong with working, you're allowed to. So it makes Hanukkah seem like a, a tag-on holiday, you know, one that just happened to occur deep in the Greek exile because it just had to. Now, Purim, you know, has a sort of a biblical feel to it, even though it's not, but it has a biblical feel. We're doing so much. We're so Jewish. And Hanukkah barely feels rabbinic. It's more historic. It's... It's a mere commemoration of an incredible event. 
But let's try to reframe this and refocus this. And what if somebody would tell you that all of history until Hanukkah was just to make the holiday of Hanukkah a reality? What would you think? And further, that even Purim was just a build-up to Hanukkah. And that Hanukkah is the main one we hold on to in order to have the Jewish people have a safe passage to the Messianic era when the light of Hanukkah will shine every day so that Hanukkah can stop being only an eight-day holiday. So let's give an analogy to explain this idea. Let's say you have a father who wants to give his business over to his son. And in the beginning, when the son first shows up at work to start learning the ropes, the father's around a lot. And he also has his employees direct the son and help him whenever he needs help. But as time goes on and the son starts to become more comfortable around the office and he becomes very familiar with all the intricacies of the business, the father feels less of a need to watch over his son's shoulder. And he deliberately backs off and gives his son space to start acting and feeling more like a boss. And eventually the father removes himself altogether. He leaves the entire business in the hands of the son. Now he may check up on the business from time to time and perhaps even offer some advice every once in a while. But for the most part, the father backs off altogether to let his son do his own thing. This is the analogy of Hester Panim, the hiding of God's face, which is always a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it allows for people to deny Hashem's existence and turn their back on the Torah. Where's God, they say? Where was God in the Holocaust? On the other hand, it affords a person the opportunity to emphasize their belief in Hashem in Torah by doing Hashem's will at a time that his existence is not obvious. And likewise, there's two levels of how we can understand history. For example, in Gan Eden, Hashem's presence was inescapable. And even after leaving Gan Eden, Hashem still spoke to humanity, and that lasted well until the, the year 3500, or you know 300 BCE. This is why even the Jewish enemies, with all their idol worship, still acknowledged the reality of a Jewish God, and on occasion even showed him respect. But what was happening now is, but, but, but God had been weaning himself out of history the entire time. One way or another, God was making it increasingly more difficult to see him. Today, for example, it's the hardest of all, thanks to science, which has done an incredible job of uh, concealing God's hand in creation. To the point that scientists and evolutionists completely are confident in their heretical views. But as Chazal say, a light burns brightest, even a small one, when it is darkest. Like the moon said to Hashem, what good is light when it's already bright? You know, you have a sun, you got a moon. But they're both out in the daytime. Hashem said, you know what? You're right. So I'm going to put you in the nighttime. The light of the moon is brilliant against the dark night sky together with the stars. 
So we are like living, you know, we all like to live in the light. We love beautiful blue skies, sunshine. And people get depressed just when the days get shorter in the winter time. And night is comparable to death. And people are afraid of the dark, and rightfully so. And there's a lot of darkness in Toronto now. And it's reflecting for many of us a certain spiritual darkness. It's a few months already after the holidays. And it's getting dreary. But on the other hand, a person can look at the darkness as a time for their own personal light to shine. Amongst other luminaries, your light might just be invisible. But in the dark, even a small light is noticeable for quite a distance. That's why the Hanukkah rebellion was so small. You didn't need that many people. It was Rabbi Biad Ma'atim to emphasize how during dark times a few can overcome the many and that is small lights can conquer great darkness and therefore that's our opportunity whenever darkness encompasses us on any level in any place whether it's physical darkness or more importantly emotional darkness it doesn't really matter Either way, it's an opportunity to give off light to a dark world and make a great difference to creation and history. After all, creation was made for the sake of free will. And free will was given to man to reveal God in the world. And when he does that, he earns his reward in the world to come, which is the ultimate gift that God has given to man. The greater the will, the greater the revelation, the greater the reward of the world to come. So just like the father who runs the business, God was very available in the early years. And it was harder to reveal God then because he was already so revealed by himself. Prophecy, miracles, the Besamikdash, they all screamed out that God was alive and well and functioning in history. So then the main test was making sure you served the right God and in the right way. Now, like the father who gives his business to his son, Hashem, in a sense, has given creation over to man. Of course, Hashem, he's always there running things from behind the scenes because after all, he's God. So how could he not be involved in everything? But he does it all in a way that allows people to step forward and make it look as if they are the ones revealing God in the world. And it is our job primarily to do that which makes the existence of Hashem real for man so people can acknowledge his existence and relate to it. And now when we understand all that, Hanukkah makes that perfectly clear. All of history was coming to that moment of Hanukkah when it was probably the darkest ever. And we had lost everything. And Jews were Hellenizing. And it was so dark. And yet that left the few to make it so bright to enable us to reveal Hashem in a way that really made a difference. That's what Hanukkah is about. And so about these Parshas. Since Parshas Vayishlach 
the world of Yaakov's family has become increasingly darker. Things kept going wrong and becoming worse. And that's how things are going. And as we leave this week's Parsha, it's really bad. The brothers sell Yosef. Yehuda has a downfall. Things are really not going well by the end of this Parsha. But then it's going to come Hanukkah. And next week's Parsha, where Yosef is going to get out of jail. And this is when Yaakov Avinu and Yosef at Tzaddik show their family and future generations how to illuminate the darkness and use the darkness to reveal Hashem and to not further hide it. After all, Egypt was a very dark place spiritually. And yet, Potiphar first, and then Paro himself, the king of darkness, acknowledged the reality of God because Yosef, you say, kept talking about Hashem. In this week's parasha, Potiphar notices Yosef is always talking. He's successful. Why? Because he talks about Hashem. And next week's parasha, and Yosef, in fact, when the overture of the wife of Potiphar, which is as dark as it can get, tries to succeed to seduce Yosef, the light shines and he refuses. What a kiddush Hashem. And next week's parasha, when Paro says, oh, I hear you're the greatest um, dream uh, interpreter. It says, not me, it's God. And in the darkest of times, in the darkest of world, Yosef illuminates and they almost agree there is God in this world. And that's why these parshas fit in perfectly to Hanukkah. As Hanukkah is the thread that unites all of history. And it's certainly the light that unifies our history and lights all these parshios. And eventually Yaakov's family is reunited. And therefore, the darkness that we, Hanukkah is there for us to really appreciate that we're put in darkness. For if we're not put in darkness, how are we going to show the light? How are you going to show the light? We know we have members in our shul who have become much more uh, learned in Torah and Yiddishkeit. And how often do your secular relatives or friends call you the, the local rabbi of their family or Rebetzin? And you can answer certain questions for them that they don't know. And although you may be surrounded by a lot of darkness of people's ignorance or apathy, you can still illuminate. You can do so much. Each and every one of us has this opportunity with these challenges. So let me close with a beautiful Hanukkah story of light in the darkness. It was a cold evening in 1938 when the entire world was sinking into darkness. It was specifically a cold December evening in Germany. It was the eighth and final day of Hanukkah. And the Gear family was sitting in their second-class compartment on a train headed from Berlin to Holland as they watched the winter sun slipping beyond the horizon. It had been a long and terrifying trail that led from Kristallnacht to this moment. 
They could still hardly believe that they managed to obtain an American visa and were now finally on what they prayed would be the uneventful journey to freedom. And Judah and Regina Gere and their two children, Arnold and Ruth, spent the duration of the train ride staring out of the window, nibbling on sandwiches, reading, dozing, trying to behave as if it was very normal. But unlike most of the other passengers, the Gear family remained acutely aware of the dangers that awaited them as the train approached the German-Dutch border. There, Nazis, German police, and officers of the Gestapo would all be present for a final check of passports and travel documents. For Judah Gear, there was something additionally that was weighing heavily in his heart. As an Orthodox Jew and as a cantor, his whole life had been devoted to following the ways of the Torah. Yet here it's almost nightfall, where the flames of the Hanukkah menorah should be rising in light. He was forced to sit quietly in a seat with only the, uh, 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 the, the, the lights from the train, whatever, giving him light. And surrounded by strangers, he was afraid to strike a match or say a blessing for fear of calling undue attention to himself and his family as Jews. It's very sad he could not celebrate Hanukkah properly. And if anything, the light of the Menorah was so necessary on this day, he needed to see that light to give him that hope. But under these dangerous circumstances, how could he possibly light a menorah? But then again, how could he possibly not? But he's, he doesn't want to. Anyway, he's mulling the, the idea over in his head. Should I, shouldn't I? Suddenly the train screeched to a halt at the German-Dutch crossing where it sat in the station for the longest 10 minutes of Judah's life as the border police and the Gestapo prepared to check everyone's documents. They were so stiff. One wrong answer, one nervous twitch could mean the difference in escape and imprisonment between new life and certain death. Then it happened. A Hanukkah miracle arrived at the German border just in the nick of time. With no warning, the entire station and every corner of the train was thrust into total darkness. It's a blackout. All the lights were extinguished at the same instant leaving the passengers and approaching officers groping in the darkness. Without a second's hesitation, Judah, carpe diem, seizes a moment, reached for his overcoat on the luggage rack above, put his hand into one of the pockets, pulled out a small package, and before anyone realized what was happening, he struck a match, lit a candle, and quickly warmed the bottom of the eight other candles. He then planted them firmly in a neat row upon the windowsill, and in a breathless whisper recited the Hanukkah brachas. His family looks in shock and amazement. And Judah carefully lit each candle and placed the ninth one, the shamash, off to the side. And in the bright warmth of the menorah, his face radiated joy and peace for the first time in months. Seeing the unexpected light in the window, the Gestapo and the border police come running. The sound of their boots striking the pavement. And this and and and, and that's echoing through the that's all you can hear. And this is it. This is all over. That's gonna be the end. 
And Judah, what does he do? He just like, focuses on the lights. His heart is pounding rapidly as the steps are getting closer. The officers burst through the door. Judah was braced for the worst, perhaps the end. However, instead of responding with rage to this brazen display of Jewish ritual, the officers only noticed the opportunity that it provided. And by the light of the flickering candles, they would now be able to see clearly enough to begin checking passports and papers. And so with characteristic Nazi efficiency, they set to work. And as soon as the process was completed and they were about to leave, the chief officer of the border police turned to Judah and thanked him personally for having had the foresight to carry, quote, travel candles on this trip. Meanwhile, the Gear family sat in stunned silence for close to half an hour, unable to take their eyes off the windowsill. Just as the candles were beginning to grow dim, every light in the station suddenly flashed back on. Judah, still in awe over what he just saw, put his arm around his 12-year-old son. With tears in his eyes, he drew him close. He says, remember this moment, as in the days of the Maccabees, a great miracle happened here. Rabbi Sai, Hanukkah continues. We are in the spiritually darkest time in world history where there's an assault on everything that God reveres and cherishes up to the point of totally family structure. Everything is at assault. It is so dark and not just from a religious point of view, but the challenges with families, children, sickness, the whole world, Everything's so hard, everything's so difficult. It's so dark, people just want to give up. And there's so few of us who really understand what the reality is. So how should we look at it like the Hashmonoyim? Let's say Baruch Hashem. In other generations, if my, my little candle would be useless, because there were great, great rabbis, great, great Jews, all Jews were great. But now there's so few. This is my chance. This is my moment. Just like the family of Yaakov. It was so dark. And that enabled Yosef to shine and illuminate in the darkest of places. So too, let us take the opportunity. Carpe diem. It's dark. Talk, it's dark. Who is going to illuminate godliness and cheer people up? If not us, who are lighting the Hanukkah menorah this Sunday night. Our boys, I give myself, I give us all a bracha. That we just don't merely light the candles, ho-hum. But as we light the candle and look at the menorah, and to say, I am one of those menorahs. And just like this little candle can create so much light, I too can create so much light, whether it's on a train trying to leave Germany, or in a home where there's sadness and depression, or people you know who are sad and depressed, and they're not getting any happier by all the social networks. 
personally try to shine your light. Let that light appear to others. It will illuminate greatly. And if we have enough lights that are lighting, we'll bring the final light of Mashiach. Bim here of Yamenu Amen. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos and Hanukkah as well.